the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's all about reforming the church rather than replacing it, as we'll see today on this edition of Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. From Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose, welcome to today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. As we come to the end of our time together this week here in God's Word, we do so looking again at Luke chapter 6, verses 6 through 11. We'll also spend some time in Matthew 12, Mark chapter 3. The message is simply entitled, Jesus Sovereignly Reforms His Church. Now, today, what we're looking at is the fact that Christ comes to reform the church rather than replace it. It's an encouraging note of God's love for us, His bride. With today's edition of Abounding Grace, here's Pastor Gary Wagner. John fifteen sixteen. There Jesus says, You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you. Now verse 19. If you are of the world, the world will love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. So you see, Jesus continuing to make this emphasis. You belong to me. You're not going to perish along with the rest of the world, not because of any decision you made for me, but because I chose you as the sovereign God incarnate to be my disciples. And it was solely my choice of you that guarantees your eternal salvation. Paul picks up this word also. 1 Corinthians one twenty six says, For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things, and we are the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God has chosen the weak things, and we are the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and the base things, us of the world, and things which are despised, us, hath God chosen, yea, in things which are not, to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his God's presence. You see here, God chose whom he chose so that the world would be confused in all of its pride and its arrogance, and so no one would be able to boast or take any credit for his standing with God. It's all God's choice. So Jesus chose his disciples just as Jehovah chose Israel and just as God chose us before the foundation of the world, before the beginning of time, as we read in Ephesians 1, to be his holy people. There's another word in Luke 6.13 we mustn't overlook. We're going to put all these words together and we're going to draw some conclusions from it in just a few minutes. So please bear with me. He called unto him disciples, and of them he chose twelve whom he also named apostles. Named means to number, to promise, 
to define. In the Bible, to name someone implied power and authority over that person. Remember, Adam named the animals because God had given him authority over the animals. And God has never allowed anyone to name him because it is he who names man. Man has no power or authority over God. And when certain people were converted, God gave them a new name to emphasize his power and authority over them. And now the Lord Jesus Christ names these men apostles. He expresses his divine authority over these disciples by calling them his chosen apostles, by defining the offices, the office they would fulfill, and then by promising them power to be successful in everything he called them to do. He was expressing once again his divinity by naming and exercising his his authority. Sovereign authority over these apostles. And notice what he named them in verse 13. Of course, he named them apostles. And the word apostle means someone who has been sent forth and authorized and commissioned to carry out a specific task in the authority of the one who sent him out. It's used 140 times in the New Testament. And God, according to Galatians 4 sent out Jesus with divine authority to carry out a specific delineated task that God had given him. Then Jesus, in the same fashion, sent out his apostles, the sent forth ones, ones who had been commissioned by God to represent him, clothed with his authority, to speak with his authority in his name, to represent him on earth. Now, look at Mark 3. There's some other nouns and verbs that Luke didn't use here in Mark 3, verse 13. He says, And he going up into a mountain, and called unto him whom he would or wanted. Now it's important to know how these apostles were chosen. Jesus gathered all the disciples together and he said, Okay now, I want you all to vote for whomever you would like to be be a good disciple. And those receiving the majority vote would be the 12 apostles. No, of course not. Nor did he ask, okay, how many of you would like to be apostles? And 12 raised their hands. No, he went up to the mountain and he called to himself whom he wanted, whom he would. He spent the entire night praying with all his disciples before him. And then he said, I want you, Peter, and I want you, Andrew. And he didn't ask, are you guys okay with this? Would you like to have this privilege? He said, come here, boys. He called to himself those whom he wanted. The word wanted denotes desire, purpose, will, and preference. He called those to himself whom he desired. He called to himself those whom he purposed, those whom he preferred, those whom he willed. And it is a word that is used throughout Scripture for the sovereign will of God. When God prefers something, beloved, it is a done deal. When God desires something, it's done. 
Whatever God pleases, He does. And here you have the Lord Jesus Christ once again acting like God. He wills something and something happens. Just as He willed for people to be healed and they were healed, here He willed that these twelve and no other come to be His apostles and they and no other came. You see the Son of God in human flesh once again exercising His sovereign will. Now this word wanted is the same word used in Romans 9.18 which says, Therefore he hath mercy on whom he will, whom he wants to have mercy. And whom he will, he wants, he hardeneth. Now many people would prefer that this verse not be in the Bible. Most people would like to say, God must accept whoever wants him. Putting God in a corner. But the text says, God has mercy on whomever he wants. If God doesn't, now now listen, beloved. If God doesn't want to have mercy on you, he won't. If God wants to harden your heart, he will. If God wants to have compassion upon you, He will. But if He doesn't want to have compassion upon you, He won't. You say, but Gary, doesn't God want to have mercy on everyone? No, I just read you what the text said. But I will have mercy upon whom I will have mercy. You mean God doesn't want to have compassion on everyone? No. He says here he wants to harden some people. I will harden who I will harden, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. That's God, beloved. And you see the Lord Jesus Christ in calling these apostles as God incarnate says, I want you, and I want you, and I want you. You twelve I prefer as my apostles, no one else. And you know that is the very way you became a Christian. You became a Christian because before the beginning of time, God had in His mind the entire human race, fallen, depraved, unworthy of salvation, and incapable of saving itself. And God said, out of this mass of fallen humanity, I want to save some. I don't want to save them all, but I want to save some, and I'm going to save those whom I prefer. So out of the mass of humanity, God saved us. God chose us. God wanted us so that we may praise His grace and His mercy throughout all eternity. There are some who God did not want. So He left them in their sin and depravity so that we, His chosen for all eternity, will praise Him for His justice and His holiness and His righteousness in dealing with men. You say, Pastor, how do I know that God wanted me? Acts 13, 48 says, As many as were ordained to eternal life believed. As many as God predestined to life, believed. As many as God wanted, believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the great proof, the great infallible proof that God wants you is faith in your heart in the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you believe in Him? Have you repented of your sins and do you rest upon the Lord Jesus Christ alone for your salvation? That is proof that God prefers you. That is proof that God loves you. 
That is proof that God wants you. That's proof that God decided to have mercy upon you and not leave you in your hardness of heart. That's proof that God had compassion upon you. That is the gospel, beloved. What we see in Jesus calling the apostles is what we see in Jesus saving sinners. The gospel is not some syrupy little thing. The gospel is not, oh, God loves everybody. Now, just accept his love. God, like Jesus on the mountain, calls to him who he wants, and they come. He doesn't call or want everyone. How do you know he wants you? Is there faith in your heart in the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you love him above all else? If you do, that is the proof, all the proof that you need. Let's look at one more word. Mark 3.14. And he ordained, or better yet, translated, appointed 12. And oh, what a word appoint is in the Greek. The first time the Greek word for appoint appears in the Septuagint, the Greek Old Testament, is in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created or ordained or appointed heaven and earth. The Greek word translated appoint here is the Greek word meaning to create. God created the world exactly like he wanted it to be. The Lord Jesus Christ made of these men exactly what he wanted them to be. As God, equal to God, by his own creative power, he made of these men apostles. Now that's the study of all the seven words from this text. So let's see from these words how Christ makes us disciples. He does it the same way he made the apostles. He calls us. That is why we are called the called out ones, ecclesia. In scripture, we are referred to as the called ones more than we are called Christians. Because that is the way Christ brings us to himself. He calls us in our hearts. Now, I'm not referring to an audible voice that you hear with your words. He calls you in the depths of your heart, out of sin and darkness, into his marvelous light. Now, notice several things about that call. First of all, it is a sovereign call. He calls whom he would to himself. He doesn't say, if you want to. The decision does not rest on man. Our discipleship, our new love in Christ, is not based on any choice on our part at all but is based on Christ's choice of us. We know we have been chosen if we then choose him. We don't go around bragging, hey, I chose Jesus. No, he decided for me. And because of that, there's no turning back on his part. He said, you didn't choose me, I chose you. It couldn't be any clearer. I love him. And I chose him only because he first chose me and he first loved me and he first gave me the power to answer his effectual call. This call is a sovereign call and it is irresistible. The Lord makes Christians out of everyone he wants to be his disciples. Now what does that do in the heart of the true believers whose mind is made submissive to the word of God? It it humbles him. It breaks him and it fills his heart with joy. God chose me. Here's how you can judge your level of spirituality and maturity, beloved. 
When I said the Lord Jesus Christ calls to himself all those whom he wants and no one else, if you stiffened your neck to that, if you gritted your teeth and said, that doesn't seem fair, I don't like that, it's not me you're arguing with, beloved. It's not the doctrine of this church you're arguing with. You are in a struggle with the living God. You are pitting your will against his. I won't have it that way. I don't want it to be that way. Beloved, there is no other way. But if when you hear that our salvation is based on the sovereign call of God and not the decision of man, and it breaks you, And you want to cry out in your heart. And you want to cry out to God. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for wanting me. I wasn't even worth wanting. All I was was a a rotten, withered piece of wood. And a big pile on fire already. And Jesus reached in and pulled this brand from the burning. I deserve to be burned like the rest of mankind. I had no claims on Christ's choice. And yet he reached down. And he sovereignly chose me. When you hear predestination and the sovereignty of God in grace and salvation as a true Christian, and you are submissive to the word of God, it will humble you and it will fill your heart with joy. Now, this is not only a sovereign call. It is an almighty, irresistible call. Notice these great words in Mark 3. And he calleth unto him whom he would, and most of them came. Anyone have that translation? I hope not. No. It says he called to himself those whom he wanted, and they came unto him. Whatever resistance may have been there prior to the moment, to that moment, it was melted by the powerful word of Jesus. And no matter how hard and perverted and evil our insides may be, When the Lord Jesus Christ comes to us, that call comes with such mighty, irresistible power that it melts any resistance and hostility in our heart. When the Lord Jesus Christ calls us to himself, there's no one, not even hell itself, that can keep us from following him. You see, Jesus doesn't simply invite people to be his disciples. I I hear this all the time. Jesus isn't going to make you come. He's just going to invite you. Have you ever heard someone say, give Jesus the right to be the Lord of your life. Give give him a chance. You don't give Jesus the right to do anything. He is the king. You are a miserable, sinful creature. And when you think in your heart, I give Jesus the right to do this or do that. You are setting your arrogant self up above the glorious King of kings and Lord of lords. He will do what he says when he says and not one second before. You stand before him at his mercy to do whatever he pleases to do with your life. His call comes with irresistible power. He calls you with life-raising power to come. And you come. We must also keep in mind that God's call is gracious. Christ comes to call sinners unworthy and undeserving. If Christ wants you, it is not because you deserve to be wanted. In spite of our demerit, Christ calls us. Remember what you are. 
Remember what you would continue to be were it not for the call of Jesus. All you are is a brand in the burning who deserves to go to hell and burn forever. Now, when you think of yourself in that light and you think that Christ has called you to be his disciple, you will not be able to love him enough. No demand he makes upon your life will ever be too great because your heart will be filled with such gratitude because he sovereignly chose you in grace and mercy and he passed by other people, better people than you are, so he might bestow upon you his favor. When you recognize his call as a gracious call, your heart is always filled with gratitude. As someone once said, Jesus doesn't look for great men and great women to call to be his disciples. He makes his own great men and his own great women out of sinners. And the last thing I would have you to remember today about this call of God by which you became a Christian is that it is a recreative call. He named them, made them apostles. He took some of his disciples and made them apostles, just as he takes some sinners and makes disciples out of them by his word and spirit. And when Christ calls you to follow him, he transforms your whole life. He recreates you anew. You can't do that yourself, beloved. Therefore, and finally, the word that best defines the Christian life is not obedience. Now, obedience is a great word, but it's not the word that captures the gist of the Christian life. With all of our emphasis on obedience, with a, with a need for a renewal of obedience to God's word in the church, it is not the heart and core or the soul of the Christian life. The one word that catches the gist of the Christian life is faith. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen, because the Christian life from first to last is a looking to Christ to do in us what we cannot do. Faith is not obedience to law, although it motivates us to obedience and, and it also produces obedience in us. Faith is a looking to Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior. The writer of the book of Hebrews says, We must run the race of life with patience, laying aside everything, all encumbrances and everything that might entangle us, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and has set down on the right hand of the majesty on high. That is the gist of the Christian life. Yes, it involves obedience. It, in, it involves duty. It involves meditation on the word of God. But the root from which all of these grow is faith. What is the Christian life? all about. For me to live is obedience to God's law and to die is gain. Any of you know the word of God well enough to know whether that's the translation that you have? Again, I hope not. For it really says, for to me to live 
is Christ. All of our life is to be a looking to him, beloved, for him to give us the power to do whatever he wants, whatever he wills, whatever he prefers, whatever he desires. Amen. And that is Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church here in San Jose with today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. As we close out our time today, I'd leave you with our address, phone number, and our website. We'd love to hear from you. It always means a great deal to us when we hear somebody who has been listening to the program and being encouraged by it. It makes a big deal for us. 408-866-5607 is that phone number. Again, call us, 408-866-5607. Or visit our website and leave us an email, reformedheritage.org. That's reformedheritage.org. We also have past messages available, uh, an extensive library of audio that you can tap into at any time for free, right there at our website, again, reformedheritage.org. Other resource materials are available from that website as well. If you'd rather write to us, the address is Abounding Grace, PMB 402, 1484 Pollard Road. That is here in Los Gatos. The zip code is 95032. Normally, we'd invite you to join us for worship, but since we have been suspended because of the COVID-19 crisis, we invite you to visit our website instead and pick out a couple of recent messages that Pastor Gary has delivered here at Reformed Heritage Church. Again, reformedheritage.org. We'll also give you updates at that website as to when we return to normal worship. And you're always welcome to call us as well for that kind of information, 408-866-5607. And then come back and join us next time for another broadcast of Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. <music> 